0: We serve a risen king. We serve a living God. We serve someone who gave it all so that you and I can experience life in him. And there is truly no greater honor and no greater joy that you can experience in this life, but life through Christ. And so I'm so grateful that you're here this morning, so grateful that uh, you guys have been cooperating. And, and I ain't gonna lie, this is one of the best dress days of the year. You guys look fantastic. Uh, I don't know who invented pastels for Easter, but hey, good job, because it looks, it looks great. Uh, some of you are like, my wife made me do this, because it's the one day of the year you gotta take pictures. Uh, but listen, just do it, shut up, just do it. Um, <laughs> So grateful for you. We were all ready. Me and my family were all locked in. loaded. my son's not here yet. Those of you who've been asking, thank you. Keep praying. Our due date's Saturday, so it's not like we're in any hurry. And we were praying. Pastor Carlos said, I pray your son comes Monday or Sunday after service. I said, like, no, and my son, it'll be while I'm warming up the car. So I'm very grateful that, that God's held that back for right now. But uh, I was thinking about this. Um, you, ever, you ever just kind of lost something in your home and you go around looking Um, My wife has this thing. uh, She's watching, so I can say this. But it always frustrates me. I'll be looking for something in a different room, and I'll say, hey, babe, do you know where such and such is? Now, I'm expecting a response. It's in the cupboard, or it's under the shelf, or I'm just expecting a response. I don't ever get just a response. You know what I get? (laughs) Hold on. And I'm like, no, I don't need you to get it. You're super pregnant. Sit down. I can find it if you just tell me where it is. And she never does that. You know why? Because she don't know where it is. (laughs) She act like she knows where it is, but she got to get up to try to actually figure out where it is. And so it's frustrating, right? When you're looking for something and and you... Here's the funny part. We, We all do this, so don't say it's just me. When we're looking for something that we lost and we go to the first place that we think it is, and it's not there, and then we get mad at our spouse, mad at our parents, why, why'd you move my stuff? Right, we all have that, we all have that like, even if it's messy, but it's my mess, I know where everything is, I know the tie hangs there, I know my pants are right here, like I just, I have a picture in my mind and you put my pants away, so now I don't know where the computer is because this is how I, this is how I situate stuff. It's like a map. I go from pants to this, ah, computer was right there. And so the first thing we do is we get angry at people who had nothing to do with where you put it. And so we get angry and we get frustrated and we start tossing things and we start getting mad and then all of a sudden it dawns on us, I left it in the car, <laughs> right? Or, or it's in the other room. Or I forgot it at work. The point is, it's almost always somewhere else, not where you're looking. Because where you're looking is not the thing that you're trying to find. Well, I was thinking about that as I was reading through uh, the Gospels and looking at the story of the resurrection, which is what we're celebrating today. And if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to Luke chapter 24, verses one through seven. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up for you on the screen. But there's... a Oh, what'd I do? Thank just you, Pastor. You thank you, thank you. He's promoted to maintenance. <laughs> I was like, it's my first Easter. You're already taking me out. I thought he was going to do like the whole hook thing. Woo! <laughs> that was my first one. You don't even just let me do it. <laughs> so I'm looking at Luke chapter one, and, and if just to kind of catch you up, on Friday we celebrate a good Friday, and that's the, the death. The brutal, brutal death of Jesus Christ. This wasn't a, we kind of think he's dead. It's not like when you watch a movie or a show, you know the rule, if you don't see a dead body, they're not really dead, that character's coming back. We've seen novellas growing up, y'all know what it looks like. It's like, until I see that dead body, he ain't dead, like in my mind. There was no doubt about Jesus' death. It was very public, it was very brutal, it was very graphic. He was torn to shreds in front of people. He was hung on a cross with nails in his hands and his feet. Publicly, he was naked, bruised, bleeding to death, asphyxiating. Like, it was very noticeable. When he died, everyone in Jerusalem knew he's dead. So this isn't a question of whether or not Jesus Christ died or not. We know for a fact through hundreds of witnesses that, yes, he died. And then the Bible tells us that he was buried in a rich man's tomb. There was a man named Joseph who kind of snuck in. He had some money. He had a tomb nearby where Jesus was crucified. And he he negotiated and was able to get the body of Jesus and placed it in his tomb. And then in that tomb, there was a giant stone that was rolled into a little ditch so that it would take multiple men to roll it away in order to get him out. And then in front of that, the Pharisees had hired a guard to stay watch to make sure that none of Jesus' disciples came to try to steal the body. So he was dead, locked away with the guard, no doubt, no way he's getting out or anybody's getting him out, except they didn't realize that he is who he says he was. And that no stone or tomb was going to hold God down. That he lifted himself up. Not only did he give himself over, but he lifted himself up out of the grave and resurrected on the third day, which is what we're celebrating today. And it's because of that resurrection power that he can resurrect the dead in this room. But listen, in Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 7, the Bible tells us that a group of women, his disciples, who had not yet known or realized, I should say, that he had resurrected were preparing aloes and spices and order over to place on his body. This was a tradition within Judaism. It was kind of like what you would consider embalming or just rituals that they would do in order to help the body decay. And so they had these things prepared, and they're coming Sunday morning to go and place them on the body of Jesus. And this is where we pick up on Luke 24, verse 1 through 7. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the woman bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, listen, why do you look for the living among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how we told you while there was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. So these women come expecting to find a dead body. Now, I mentioned that it would take several men to roll the stone away. I don't know what they planned. Another gospel tells us that even they were like, how are we gonna do this? Like, we don't know, we're gonna figure. I love when people just say, we're gonna figure it out when we get there. I don't know, we're just gonna figure it out. And so they get there and lo and behold, the stone is already rolled away. And two men dressed in lightning, or just the Bible talks about white, it's like my Wayabeta, just beautifully vibrant and bright. And they get there, and, and he's, he's no longer there. And, and they're, they're dumbfounded. Now, you got to understand, this isn't like a normal thing, okay? I, we, we look at the end of the story, and we're like, well, they should have known he resurrected. Well, that's easy for you to say 2,000 years later. But in that moment, they don't, they don't know what's going on. Like, what do, you mean, what do you mean he's not here? Did you steal him, give him back? Like, what happened? Did the Pharisees take him? Did the Romans take him? Like, what happened to his body? And the angels, who were those two men, ended up telling him, don't you remember? He told you. See, almost every time Jesus talked about his death, and he did often with his disciples, he mentioned his resurrection. He set them up. He let them know, hey, listen, yes, I'm going to be handed over. Yes, I'm going to give my life. It's going to be laid down, but I will pick it up again. And this will happen. And so what the angel does, he says, hey, listen, you're looking in the wrong place because he's not dead, he's risen. Don't you remember what he told you back in Galilee? Don't you remember that God had given you a heads up, but you're looking for life in the wrong place? And I think that's a problem that many of us still have today. See, I think all of us are born in search of something. In search of purpose in our life. In search of life in and of itself. Every single one of us, as the Bible tells us, we are born in sin. And because of the fall of man and because we're born in that sinful nature, we are separated from God. We are separated from life itself. And so we start this journey looking for life. And many of us look for it in dead places. That's why he says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? One of the things you have to understand about Jewish culture is anything dead was considered impure. And so it's not like people played hide and seek in graveyards, okay? They avoided those as much as they could because they didn't want to be around dead things because that would make them impure. And so this was actually a common saying, why are you looking for the living among the dead? In other words, you're not going to find one where the other is. And so this is the same question I think God is asking you and I today. Why are you looking for life among the dead? Why are you going to dead places or dead things thinking you're going to find the life there? And sometimes it's subtle. I don't think all of us are sitting here going, I'm going to go look, I'm going to go to the cemetery and try to find life in the cemetery. But listen, those dead things manifest in different ways. If you're taking notes, the first thing is this. Why are you looking for life among the living dead. The living dead. Well, what do I mean by that? People hear about Jesus rising from the dead and they think about zombies. <laughs> Jesus is not a zombie, okay? Jesus didn't, is not walking around moaning, walking half a mile an hour. But a zombie is a dead person who's walking around as if they are living. That's what a zombie is. A zombie, obviously they're not real, but I mean, who knows? But... <laughs> <laughs> Ask me a few. Zombies are not real, but we know from what we see on shows, all of you unholy people who watch stuff like that. <laughs> you know. We know that those zombies are dead, they just look like they're living, because they walk and talk and do things. Well, the Bible tells us that anyone who has not accepted everlasting life in Jesus Christ is dead in their sins. In other words, the world is filled with the living dead. They don't look like what you think they look like. They are walking around as if they were alive, living it up, saying this is great, this is phenomenal, this is living, this is life, when in reality, it's dead. And the problem is, what they portray is very attractive. And it seems like good life. If you're on your social media and you see some of these things, there's a moment where maybe you even start to envy it and you start to look at that and you're like, man, that does look like a lot. I mean, any like alcohol commercial, it looks fun. And I, by the grace of God, I never had alcohol. I've never tasted alcohol because I don't look like a guy who enjoys moderation. And so avoid it altogether is my idea, right? That's just my thing. That you, that's just my thing. And so I just don't touch the stuff. But sometimes I look at those commercials and I look at my wife I'm like, what do you think, babe? Should we just like get hammered or something? And she went, I'm gonna tell pastor, I'm gonna tell the board. I'm like, it's a joke, lady, chill. <laughs> But they do make it look fun. Fun fact, next time you watch a commercial, it is illegal to actually show them drinking it. So if you ever watch an alcohol commercial, notice they never actually drink it. They're just like, (laughs) that's going to end up in a meme, isn't it? Thanks, guys. That's going to end up in the staff memes. Listen, the world and, and, and the living dead, they make their lives look appealing. the parties and the alcohol and the drugs and the get-togethers and the vacations and the, oh, we're going to Cancun for the weekend, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) And you think for a second, man, that does look amazing. And if you grew up in church, there's that moment where you're like, man, I wonder if I'm missing out because they look like they're having so much fun. But you know what? People don't post the, the hangover on Instagram, do they? People don't post the brokenness or the trip back on TikTok. People don't post their lowlights. They only want to put up their highlights. But listen, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, it says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Listen, some of us forgot that we were dead. Because we look back at fondness at the good old days and we conveniently forget the bad old days. It's like the Israelites who looked back at Egypt and remember the meat they ate but forgot the chains they wore. It says, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God, the devil. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. In other words, it wasn't just the disciples who get to be the example. God pointed to this future generation, to this moment in this room, and he looked at his disciples and he said, you are the living ones because of what I did over 2,000 years ago when I resurrected from the dead. So listen to me, church, don't envy the dead. Don't envy those who walk around acting like they have life when God is giving you actual life. Because what happens is the living dead have it on the outside, but on the inside, it's rotted, just like a zombie. But even those of us, the Bible tells us, although I might be wasting away on the outside, on the inside, I'm being renewed day in, day out. Somebody needs to testify about that. Somebody needs to understand, listen, pastor, I was dead. I might've looked great on the outside. I might've looked like I had it all together. But listen, we see it more and more. Celebrities that we admire taking their own life. Celebrities that we admire losing relationships and marriages and ending up in jail and ending up in scandals. Why? Because money's never going to be enough to satisfy your life. Being around those people isn't going to get you closer to God. I've often said this to our teenagers, but I think it qualifies just as much for our adults. If the people closest to you are not close to God, then I hate to break it to you, but neither are you. Because you are where you are. You're not omnipresent. You can't be in multiple places at one time. And so you cannot be in the presence of God and under the service of the enemy at the same time as one or the other. And so church folk, I warn you, I know it looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's empty. And those of you who might be in those moments, I don't have to tell you because you know the reality of your life right now. I've often heard something like, but pastor, it's not like I'm doing anything bad. I'm not you know, an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not in the streets. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm 60. I got grandkids. I take care of my family. Like I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm good to people. I need you to understand something because the resurrected life, this this gift that we have in salvation, it is not about turning bad people good. It's about turning dead people to life. And that's a very different scenario. So you can be the nicest person on the planet and still be dead on the inside. Right? And pastor said this a lot. You know, his mom who's in the room for years. That was her argument. I'm a good person. I'm a good person until God realized your good is keeping you from being great because I have died so that you can have new life in me. It's not about, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I know sometimes in church we can over exaggerate and we can say all these like really extreme things and it's easy when you hear those extremities or those extreme aspects to go, well, that's not me. I'm not bad, I'm not this, I'm not that. No, but you're still dead if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. Second thing that we need to understand, sometimes we look in the wrong places. I think God is asking, why are you looking for life among a dead world? Why are you looking for life among a dead world? Well, the living dead are the people. The dead world are the things that this world offers you in lieu of life with Christ. So they'll say things like, hey, listen, you don't need Jesus. I'll give you this. It is amazing to me how many people follow Jesus and will pursue Jesus when there's burden in their life but will not even think about God when everything is going great. And so what the world does is it doesn't try to destroy you. It just tries to make you comfortable. Comfortable enough for you to realize or not realize that you need something. Comfortable enough, if I can say this, to sedate you, to make you numb and to make you realize or think to yourself, I'm good. Listen, if you've ever been to the dentist, what they give you, I mean, that feels good. But the point is so that you don't feel anything else. And so we were just talking about this, my wife and I, uh, about, you know, trying to figure out, okay, do you want to take an epidural? Or do you not? Like, how do you want to approach the, the delivery? Now, she, we've already had two kids. The first kid, she tried the epidural. Only about half of it took anyway. So like, she felt everything on her left side. And she had a horrible experience. Now, again, this is between you and your doctor, so don't get mad at me for what, I'm just telling you what happened with us. The second baby, Olivia, she came so fast. I'm, I'm like, her water broke at 3.30 and Olivia came out at six. Like, it was beautiful. Thank you, Jesus. All right? So it was so fast that she had no time to get an epidural. And for me, her experience, what she said was, well, I can actually feel what was going on and I can push. So I didn't tear as much. I didn't get as hurt as much. My recovery was a lot faster. I wasn't groggy, all because I had my senses about me. Listen, you can live life with allowing the world to numb you and think that everything's okay. But can I tell you something? That epidural eventually wears off. What that dentist gives you eventually wears off. And guess what you're left with? The pain that you were experiencing. First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. What do I mean by that? Listen, you can make all the money you want. And when you die, you don't get to take that with you. The bank gets it, or your family gets it, or whatever you arrange, the backyard burial gets it, like however you decided to manage your money. But there are some of us who our entire life is about attaining more money. And listen, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with money. The Bible talks about it's the root of all evil, but not that it's evil in and of itself. Listen, if you have a problem with your money, I will gladly take it myself, personally. I can use a little bit more, no problem with that. But the problem is When money becomes our God, that's why at the end of that verse, it says money is the root of all evil. You cannot serve two masters. You have to love God, and you have to hate everything else. And so what happens, what the world does is it attracts you. That's why it says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. It's attracting. That's what caused Adam and Eve to fall. The the fruit looked good to them. It was attractive, and they were drawn to it, and they indulged in it. Listen, the lust of the world, it's subtle. It's not abrasive. It's little things that you look at. People who cheat on their spouses, it's not an overnight thing. They allow their eyes to, to linger and to wander and to watch and to entertain things online or to entertain text messages or to entertain glances and personal encounters. They allow the flesh to indulge just a little bit, they think, in this area. And the next thing they know, they've lost everything. Why? Because the world will always leave you empty. It'll draw you in like a fish hook and then it'll pull you right out of the water. And you don't even realize because all you were ever looking at was the bait. Why are you looking for life among a dead world that's not going to give you anything? And third thing is this, why are you looking for life among dead religion? What do I mean by that? Listen, we, we serve a living God, a risen God. So, you know, you get now in, in, in this very, you know, kind of PC world, and, you know, they're like, well, hey, listen, you don't want to be offensive to other religions. Well, other religions are offensive to my God. That's not my problem. Because what happens is, other people with dead religion, you, you are worshiping dead things. Buddha's dead. Muhammad died. Like, they're not alive anymore. Saints are dead. You, you, we keep praying that they're dead. They don't hear you. They, they were great when they were living, but they died. And so the problem is there's earnestness and there's genuine faith in these dead things. And so, you know, I don't, the problem for me, the part that makes me sad is I see the earnestness of their faith, but I also see the reality that they're lost. When I was in Israel a few uh, months ago, I remember walking through all this amazing evidence, not just history, but evidence of our risen savior. I'm seeing the area where they believe he was crucified, one of two places that aren't too far from each other. I'm seeing the area where they think the tomb was. I'm standing on the Mount of Olives where he's overlooking Jerusalem. I walked down the road where he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm in the garden of Gethsemane. I'm seeing all this evidence and I'm looking at these thousands and millions of Jewish people and I'm going, how do you not connect this? You're waiting for what I'm seeing. And then you're missing it. Why? Because they follow religion and they don't follow God. Listen, church, some of us in this room, you do the same thing. You think that because you follow some religious obligations that somehow that makes you right with God. Listen, I can do all the husbandly responsibilities that need to be done. I can go to work. I can provide for my home. I can show up. I can change my kids' diapers. I can throw out the trash. I can do the dishes. I can do all the things that a husband's duty should be. But if I don't love my wife, I am no husband. If I have no relationship with my wife, I am no husband. Okay, listen, if I don't do all those things and I have a relationship with my wife, I'm a husband, not a great one, but a husband. Okay, and then I work on all the other stuff. Love you, baby. So, so the problem is a lot of us think that if we just do all these religious things, hey, it's Easter, I got to go to church. Hey, it's Christmas, I got to go to church. Hey, it's Sunday, I got to go to church. Why? It's, I have to. Oh, we had Lent, you know, I got to give up meat. Why? You're supposed to. Hey, listen, I'm not supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to do that. You follow all these religious obligations and yet you're missing the very most important thing of all of it. You don't love God. Revelation chapter two, God is writing a letter to a church in Ephesus and he's telling them, guys, you're doing phenomenal stuff. Really great things. You're doing all the right things, but I hold this one thing against you. You don't love me like you used to turn back to your first love. In other words, what is he saying? All that other stuff doesn't matter to me. And you know, those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. I could care less that my spouse does all these other things if she doesn't love me. My spouse, my wife's first priority and my first priority as her husband is to love her. And then if I love her, I'll do all the other stuff. If I love her, I'll honor her and everything else. And some of you, you think that your religion, that the fact that you're an assembly of God or a Catholic or a Protestant or any of those categories or isms has somehow made you right with God. But listen, Second Timothy chapter three, verse one through five, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there'll be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, the love of pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. This is a warning to you to avoid dead religion, to avoid people who say things. And listen, the world is filled with it. Some of you, you've even met pastors who are part of a dead religion, who acted godly, but weren't living godly, who, who portrayed the thing. Listen, it's not hard to act like a Christian. You know, especially if you've been one long enough, it's not hard to know when to say amen, to know when to stand up, to know when to sit down, to know when to clap your hands, to know when to do whatever ritualistic thing you need to do. Y'all even knew what color to wear today. It's not hard. You know what's hard? Loving the God who loved you first every day. Waking up and choosing God and saying, Lord, I don't choose religion. I choose you. I don't choose to follow just doctrine. I choose to follow you. Why are you looking for the dead among the dead? Why are you looking for the dead among a dead world? Why are you looking for the dead among dead religion? And last, why are you looking for life among a dead past? Some of us, the reason we can't experience life and life to the fullest is because we're trying to live in the past. But let me tell you something. The past is dead because it is no longer with us, right? You ever been to a funeral and you hear somebody say, hey, this person, they're no longer with us. What happened to so-and-so? They're no longer with us. They've died. They've passed on. This is the reality of your past is the past is always going to be dead because the past will never come back. It is the past. Yesterday will never exist ever again. It is gone for now and forever, and so it's very well considered dead. The problem is you keep trying to live there. You keep trying to live in the dead past. Some of you, it's in bad things. In other words, you're living in the trauma of your past. Somebody hurt you when you were 17, and you haven't left that 17-year-old self. Somebody hurt you when you were nine and you never left that nine-year-old traumatic self. And I'm not saying any of it is necessarily your fault in and of what happened to you. You can't choose oftentimes what happens to you, but you do get to choose what you do after that. And some of you have decided, I'm just going to plant myself there and I'm going to live in 1993 for the rest of my life. Some of you, it's good things. Man, I remember, oh, at church, when we used to sing that one song back in 1988. That's a long time ago, sister. The person who sang that, they ain't even alive no more. That's, that's a long time ago. And so the church ends up filled with these remember when people. And then they get mad when the church is progressing and moving forward. Oh, can you, Pastor, Pastor Joey was wearing fans on the platform. What do you want me to do? Moccasins, Jesus sandals, like... Like people get stuck in a certain era and it always makes me laugh, especially the suit people. No offense if you're wearing one, but it always makes me laugh. Like they're like, well, you got to wear a suit if you're going to preach. Why? Like if we're going to be real, I should wear a tunic. Like if I'm going to wear what Jesus wore and y'all don't want to see me in a tunic, you're lucky I'm just wearing this. Like, that's, that's, if you want to go biblical, if you want to take it back, and I shouldn't shower, and I should walk around barefoot, like, let's take it back then if we want to go there. But what happens is, the reason people get like that is because in 1972, when I met the Lord, that's what the pastor wore. Okay, cool. It's not 1972 anymore. And I'm not saying we got to go, like, super extreme, or I'm not going to be up here and look inappropriate. But at the same time, we have to understand the past is dead. We can't live in the past anymore. You can't live in your past trauma and you can't live in your past success. Life moves forward. And so if we are going to live in the life that God has given us, we have to move forward. Philippians chapter three, verse 12 through 14 says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. This is Paul talking, or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. (laughs) If you're going to run your race, you got to run forward. I don't care how fast you are. If you're running and you turn around, not only will you slow down, but you will trip and fall. And some of us, we too old to turn around in any kind of race. (laughs) We got to just eyes forward until we get there. (laughs) Listen, and here's, it, it works on both sides, good or bad. It's behind you. Okay. The rear view mirror, that's nice to glance at every now and then. But if you drive staring at the rear view mirror, you will crash. And you forget that the windshield is so much bigger than the rear view. So stay forward. Better days are ahead. Harder days are ahead. But they're ahead. And we got to be willing to move forward because that's where life is. Life is in the present and moving towards the future. Never in the past. The past is dead. And so if you want to live life, this one thing you got to be willing to do, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Oh, but you don't understand what I did. I don't. And quite honestly, I don't care. That's nothing to do with where you're going. Yeah, but I used to be like this. Okay, as long as you used to be and now you're doing something different moving forward, I don't really care. Oftentimes people want to tell me everything. Listen, I'd rather not know because I like the ignorance I have with this. Because I'm not judging you based on what you did, because I really don't care what you did. Because if it's under the blood, then it's under the blood. And if it's something that Christ has forgiven, the Bible says that he tosses our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. That he remembers them no longer. Now, do you honestly think that the God of the universe is incapable of remembering your sin? It's not that he's incapable. It's that he has made a conscious choice to say, I will no longer hold your past against you. I'm not going to throw it in your face. I'm not going to keep bringing it up. There's only one person who ever digs up your dead past and throws it in your face, and that's the devil who the Bible calls the accuser. And he's the one that says, but remember this? Remember this dead body? And you're like, listen, Jesus, he already dug it deeper and hit it better. It's gone. That dead body is out of my life. That's not about who I am anymore more, it is gone and it is forgotten. Worship team, if you can help me out. We can't keep looking for life in dead places. It's not where it is. You can't look for life in a dead thing. You're not going to find life with people who don't know God on the outside. You're not going to find it. You're not gonna find life in the things that the world offers that are contrary to the Lord. And more and more, the world is trying to close those ranks and get you and force you to make a decision. And it, it's getting you to that point where you say you gotta either choose God or you choose the devil. And by the way, those of you who are like, no, no, I choose the middle, I choose me. The devil owns the middle. So you either choose God or you get left behind with everything else. You can't find life among the living dead. You can't find life among the dead world. You can't find life among dead religion. I don't care how long you've been in church. said <clears throat> churches are filled all across this world with people who are still gonna to go to hell one day because they've never allowed the Lord to be the Lord of their life. And they think their religiosity, their attendance is gonna count for attendance in heaven and that's not how that works. You can't find God in dead religion and you definitely can't find life in your past. Well, I used to do all these things for the Lord. What are you doing today? I used to serve. How are you serving today? I used to go to church. Why don't you anymore today? I used to have a relationship with God. That doesn't count for today. What does it matter today? These women they gathered up and they went to the tomb looking for something dead, expecting Jesus to be dead. And the angel tells him, why are you looking for life among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. So they go back and they tell some other people, but here's what I love about this story. If you read all the gospels, Jesus ends up having multiple encounters after his resurrection. And I think it's ironic that people went to the tomb to look for a dead Jesus and yet a very much living Jesus goes out of his way to meet them where they are. The Bible tells us that after everyone was gone, Mary Magdalene stayed at the tomb weeping and that Jesus showed up just to meet Mary Magdalene, a woman who he had once freed from demonic spirits and she clung to him. Jesus Later on in Luke chapter 24 meets two disciples who are walking to a place called Emmaus that was the opposite of where Jerusalem was. And they were walking to Emmaus because they had given up on the dream that they had. They saw the person that they had put their hope in in Jesus murdered in front of them and they thought this whole dream is over. Let's move on to the next town. And the Bible says that Jesus shows up for these two guys. They don't even name them in the Bible. And the Bible says that they don't even recognize him. And what does Jesus do? He said, like, hey, what's going on? How's life? Hey, what are you talking about? Haven't you heard about everything that went on in Jerusalem? Oh, tell me about it. And they, they explain all that happens and Jesus in this loving way, he explains the entire gospel message from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way up to the new. And then as he sits down to have a meal with them, he breaks bread and instantly they go, Messiah. My Lord. He meets Thomas after all the disciples had already met him. And Thomas goes, I won't believe it. I don't care what you guys say until I can put my finger in the holes in his hands, I don't believe it. And so what does Jesus do? He goes out of his way to meet Thomas. And say, Thomas, I'm here. Go ahead, check my side, check my hands. You believe because you see, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. He meets the disciples when they, where they first gathered at the Sea of Galilee. He met Peter on that lake shore. The very first place he met him when he called him on, he said, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Peter goes back to fishing. And the Bible says that Jesus is meeting him on that shore, cooking him breakfast. Peter jumps out of the boat when he realizes it's Jesus and he swims to his Lord. And in that loving moment, Jesus reinstates Peter because Peter had denied him three times. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse three through eight, says, I passed on to you what was most important. This is again, Paul talking, and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles last of all as though i had not been as though i had been born at the wrong time i also saw him he went out of his way as paul a murderer who was hunting down christians was on his way to damascus and jesus knocked him off his horse and met him on that road jesus met each of these individuals and groups exactly where they were Jesus met my wife as she cried alone in her room to him. In 1976, Jesus met Pastor Carlos in New York City as a young man struggling with a 10-year heroin addiction. He met Jessica after she got out of an abusive marriage. He met Brian after he had some really close calls on the streets. He met Mylene after she experienced severe church hurt. He met Mark behind me after his missionary parents had a messy divorce. He met Javi in this room who struggled in the midst of some mental health issues. He met Joseph and Julia this year after struggling through a very hard miscarriage. Jesus met me in that spot over 22 years ago. where you are. See, we're looking for life in dead places and the living God goes to those very dead places and says, I heard you were looking for me and I'm willing to meet you right where you are. And I believe God is here today to meet you right where you are. Pastor, you don't understand what I've done past that's dead. But pastor, I'm a good person. It's not enough. It's dead. But pastor, like, I, I don't want to leave all these other things. It's not about leaving other things. It's about pursuing the one thing. But I don't know if, if I, I don't even agree with organized religion. I could care less. I'm not talking about religion. I don't even, listen, it don't even bother me if you don't decide to come back here. But, but, but I've been really wounded. I've been really hurt. I've been... Yes, I get it, but no more than God gets it. And God is willing to meet you where you are, but you know what's the best part? Is that Jesus loves us so much that he will meet you where you are, but he will not leave you where you are. He will take you out of the miry clay and he will set you on your feet. So here's how I'd like us to close. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes right where you're at. (laughs) Everything we did today is for this one moment. I'm going to ask you, as you listen to my voice, listen, if you've been in this room and while I've been talking, there's been a serious tug at your heart. You've even felt emotional maybe. And you felt like, I'm talking specifically to you. I need you to understand, I wasn't, but God was. And in this moment, God is asking you one question. Why are you looking for life among the dead? I'm not there, but I am here. So with every head bow, every eye closed, it's between you and the Lord. This isn't about anybody else's business. But if you're here and you say, pastor, I need life. I need life, I, I need to be able to have what you've been talking about because what I have is not enough. This is not about religion, It's not about this church, this is about having a relationship with the living God because Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can enter heaven if not through me. No one can come to the Father if not through me. There is no back door, there is no side entrance. The only way to have everlasting life is to accept the free gift of salvation that my Lord and Savior offered over 2,000 years ago. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're saying, Pastor, that's me, I need Jesus in my life. All I ask is that you lift up your hand right where you're at, and we're gonna pray with you. Thank you, sister. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Anyone else? That's me, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you me a favor as you raise your hand would you stand for me come on right where you're at no one else looking around don't worry about everybody else as you raise your hand would you stand for me don't be afraid don't be worried come on if that's you I'm waiting on you would you stand come on if that's you I'll wait for you everything we did today was for you would you stand for me please if you raise your hand won't you stand for me don't be nervous don't be shy This is all for you. This is all for you. Now, here's what I'm gonna ask. Would you now step out of your seats and meet me up here? I wanna talk to you, I wanna pray with you personally. You're already standing up, you might as well walk out. Come on, meet me up here, meet me up here. And as they walk up, church, would you celebrate the way heaven is celebrating right now?